0: Go ahead and find your way to John chapter 21 as we pick up with the second installment of our sufficiency, deficiency series. This narrative in John 21 is post-resurrection. So to give you a little context, Jesus has been crucified, he's given his life. The three days has passed, he has rose from the dead and he's appeared to his disciples a couple of different times. And in John chapter 21, we have a post-resurrection experience. The disciples have moved to Galilee at this point, which is where Jesus said he would meet up with them. And while they're waiting on Jesus to get there, an interesting set of events take place. Concerning Peter specifically, John chapter 21, starting in verse 1, God's word says, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, No. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. Now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from the land but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on the land they saw a charcoal fire in place so if you're ever wondering guys charcoal or propane i'm just saying jesus was a charcoal guy he was a kingsford kind of guy so always go for charcoal there's a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread jesus said to them bring some of the fish that you have just caught so simon peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish 153 of them and although there were so many the net was not torn Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. I want to spend the next few moments speaking to you from the subject of, in my feelings. And I promise you, it's going to be way better than Drake's version. So lean in, because it's it's going to be way better. Everybody say feelings. Feelings. Got me in my feelings. That's the southern version of it. I've discovered here lately that my sufficiency deficiency will cause me to get in my feelings quicker than anything else. Let me make a mistake. Let me make a bad decision. Let me feel like I let somebody down or disappointed them. And my emotions, my feelings of insufficiency will begin to eat me alive on the inside. When you're fighting a deficiency or a disorder, Let me warn you guys, it's a very dangerous thing to let your feelings overtake you. The more I dig into this, the more I see this deficiency behind some very, very dark and very, very evil stuff that takes place in our world today. I'm convinced that people struggle with depression because they feel insufficient. I think eating disorders come from feeling insufficient, I think people will cut themselves because they feel insufficient. I think ultimately a lot of suicides happen because people feel insufficient. That's why I said it's a dangerous thing to let your feelings overtake you. If the feelings that accompany this deficiency that we're talking about specifically, if these feelings overtake us, it can send us spiraling into a place of defeat and ineffectiveness spiritually. It's a dangerous thing to let your feelings overtake you. When we catch up with the disciples, they're sitting by the sea, and they're waiting on Jesus to show back up. So while they're sitting there, the highlight is on Peter, who, remember, not too long ago had done something very, very bad in the Garden of Gethsemane when he denied having known Jesus on three separate occasions. So while they're sitting there, in Galilee, by the Sea of Tiberias, this is in the back of Peter's mind. It's in the back of his mind that he had done this very, very awful thing, and he was ashamed of it. He was disappointed in himself. He was embarrassed. He's sitting there, and this is in the back of his mind. And at the same time, I think he's struggling with something else, something else that you wouldn't see in this text. Y'all know, y'all know Thomas, right? Thomas kind of got a bad nickname. Because he he doubted the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, because he doubted one time whether or not Jesus had actually raised from the dead, he got this awful nickname. So, now forever he's been known as Doubting Thomas. God forbid anybody have a doubt one time in their life about something that Jesus might do. I promise you, there's probably nobody in this room that's ever doubted that Jesus could do something in your life, right? Give me a break. Doubting Thomas. Jesus is crucified. He's raised from the dead. Word begins to spread that Jesus has come back, that he's resurrected. And Thomas says, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. It can't be true. As a matter of fact, I refuse to believe it until I see Jesus myself, until I can see the holes in his hands, until I can see the hole in his side from the spear. I'm not going to believe that he's been raised from the dead. Then the disciples find themselves in the upper room with the door locked and the shades pulled down because they're scared to death. They don't know what to do. And all of a sudden, poof, Jesus shows up in the room. And remember what happens, he shows up and he, and he pulls Thomas off the side. He's like, Thomas, come here, look, it's, it's really me. Look, look at my hands. Look at my side. It, it really is me. And so Jesus pulls Thomas off the side and lovingly begins to help Thomas get rid of his doubt. And then as soon as he does that, poof, Jesus disappears again. Watch this. Without saying anything to Peter. Who had just denied him, right before his death. So Peter probably thought that meant his denying had to be worse than Thomas's doubting. And it's got Peter in his feelings, I think. And what it does in him is what I see it do in me on a daily basis as I battle with this deficiency. When this deficiency gets me in my feelings, like Peter, I become fixated on failure. Everybody say failure. You might as well speak it out because it's something every one of us deal with. Peter's struggling with the aftershock of his denial as he sits in Galilee waiting on Jesus. I would imagine it's the only thing that he's thinking about. He's sitting by the shore and all this stuff is running through his mind. I denied Jesus. He must think I'm a failure. He must think I'm a disappointment on top of that. I know he has to think that because Thomas doubted him. He showed up in the upper room. He pulls Thomas off to the side and he reassures him and gets rid of his doubt. But he don't say anything to me. And that has to mean Jesus is mad at me, right? It has to mean Jesus is disappointed with me. Why else would he just show up and, and reaffirm Thomas, but then not say anything to me and disappear again? So Peter is dealing with all this stuff internally. He's recalling how he told Jesus he would die with him before he ever denied or abandoned him. Jesus, I will die with you. I'll go to the cross with you before I ever deny or abandon you. And yet here he sat, now guilty of doing the one thing that he swore that he wouldn't do. And he can't shake loose from it. He can't get it out of his head. When we have a sufficiency deficiency, it will cause you to fixate on your failures. People who struggle with this sufficiency, I think they fear failure more than anything else. So when it happens, we fixate on it. I can attest to this because, trust me, if nobody else is struggling with this this issue in their life, I can testify to it because this is me. I fear failure about as much as anything else. And it's because I have this deficiency in my life. In the physical sense, if we don't make the grade, if we don't make the team, if we don't get the job, if we can't hold a relationship, we fixate on that failure. In a spiritual sense, if we sin, if we feel like we disappoint Jesus, if we feel like we fall short of His standard that He has set for us, then we fixate on that failure. And I know this is true. I know so many of you have, have struggled. You, you battle with a stronghold of sin in your life or you do something, you make a choice that you know you shouldn't have. And for the rest of the day, that's what you fixate on. How I mess it up. How I must have let Jesus down. How he must be so disappointed in me. How I must be such a letdown to him. So you sit here tonight. Some of you sit here tonight and you're fixated on the fact that you didn't wait until marriage. Some of you are here tonight and you're fixated on a porn problem that you can't get rid of. There's some people here tonight that are fixated on the fact that you lost control of your temper earlier and your tongue. And you're fixated on that failure. Some of you are fixated on the fact you missed an opportunity to be a witness this past week. God gave you a golden opportunity to share the gospel with somebody, and you flat up just laid an egg, man. Some of you are fixated on the fact that you are born again in Christ, but this past weekend you dabbled back into your former lifestyle. And you feel like a failure. That's all you can think of. That's all you can focus on. You can't get it out of your mind. You can't shake loose from it. I would bet that some of you walked in here tonight and you've hardly heard a single word anybody has said to you. You mumbled your way through worship, struggling even now to pay attention to the word because all you can think about is your recent screw-ups. That's what this deficiency does. It gets you in your feelings and fixated on your failures. And now you're in Galilee, and instead of looking for the Savior, did you see? You notice what they're doing? Specifically, Peter? Instead of looking for the Savior, he's staring at the sea. But you know who isn't fixated on Peter's failure? Jesus. He's not fixated on Peter's failure. Why do you know, Trey? Because he showed up on the bank, he cooked breakfast. And to be honest with you, if I was upset with somebody, if I was mad at somebody, if I had a a riff with somebody, I probably ain't going to be cooking you breakfast the next morning. But Jesus shows up, and he's got breakfast ready. He says, hey, hey, you guys, you caught any fish? No. Jesus doesn't even get upset about that. He's like, that's a guy I got taken care of. He's got, I got breakfast. Come on. Come on in, guys. Let's go. I got breakfast. It's hot and ready, man. Come on in here. Come on, Peter. Come with him. Come eat breakfast. He's not upset with Peter. He's not fixated on the fact that Peter denied him. He's just happy to see him. I promise you, he didn't even spit in his eggs or anything. He was just happy to see him. Come on, let's eat breakfast together, guys. Jesus is not fixated on their failures, and he's not fixated on yours either. Man, I'll tell y'all, the enemy has some of y'all so bought into this lie that Jesus is disappointed, that he's frustrated, that he's disgusted, that he's embarrassed because of a mistake that you've made, that the enemy has you fixated on something that Jesus has already forgiven. You're choosing to remember. Jesus has already chose to forget. But when we've got this deficiency... When it comes to feeling sufficient in the eyes of our Savior, this is what we do. We fixate on failure. I don't care what you've done. I don't care if you messed up before you got married. I don't care if you're born again Christian and you made a mistake this past weekend, you dabbled back in your former life. I don't care what kind of struggle you've got with your temper or with your tongue or any of that other stuff. Jesus does not approve of sin. Let me just say that. He does not applaud you when you make those mistakes. Jesus is not your boy that's going to show up if Drew makes a mistake and be like, hey man, you're good. Don't worry about it. No, he's a holy and just God. But that holy and just God poured out his wrath on Jesus on the cross so when you do mess up, he can forget your failures. It's covered by the blood. Are y'all here tonight? Stop fixating on something that Jesus has already chosen to forgive. Quite frankly, get out your feelings about it. Peter, sitting on the bank all upset, I'm going fishing. Fixated on my failure. Here's the problem with the fishing stuff. It shows me the second part that that comes with this deficiency that comes when you get in your feelings, or at least when I do. When I get in my feelings, well now I get disengaged from my destiny. Verse 3, Peter gets so worked up about his feelings that he says this, I'm going fishing. That may seem like a harmless thing at first, but it goes a lot deeper than what we realize. My question is, why wasn't he pursuing the calling that Jesus had placed upon him? Jesus had told Peter that he would be instrumental in establishing his church. Why then was Peter going fishing? Jesus had pulled Peter off to the side after Peter made this great confession that Jesus was the Son of God. And he says, man, bless you, Peter. Flesh didn't make that known to you. My Father made that known to you. And I tell you this, you Peter, Petros, rock, will be the foundation that I build my church upon. So Jesus had placed this monumentally great calling upon Peter's life to go and establish the church. And Peter says, I'm going to go fishing? Why was he going fishing instead? Which, by the way, was the, the life that Jesus had called him out of. I can tell you why. Because his feelings of insufficiency and inadequacy have disengaged him from his destiny. Peter makes a mistake and he denies Christ. He gets in his feelings about the whole ordeal and he fixates on his Failures, and then he begins to become disengaged from his destiny. And so now he's thinking, because of this thing that I have done, there's no way Jesus could use me now in that capacity. Now I know Jesus might have had this calling on my life at one time, but that was before I made this monumental mess up. And there's no way Jesus could use me in that same instance. Now there's no way Jesus could use me to establish his church. So I tell you what, I'll go back to what I used to do. I'll go back to being a fisherman. I'll go back, I'll get in a boat, and I'll fish. Why am I going to do that? Because that's safe. Because that's comfortable, because I know how to do that. I've got a a lifelong experience in being a fisherman, so I just go back to doing that. That's safe, that's comfortable, I, I know how to handle that. And on top of that, I think Peter went back to that because fishing was individualistic. He could go out and fish all night, and if he didn't catch anything, it wouldn't be a letdown to anybody. Let me tell you, people that struggle with a sufficiency deficiency will find individualistic things to do because you fear being a letdown to somebody else. So Peter says, I go back and get in the boat and I go fishing. Even if I don't catch anything, nobody will be disappointed in me. That's on me. It's no big deal. I I can handle it. I won't have to be a, a letdown to anybody. And I'm like, what is going on? This is, this is Peter that we're talking about. This is supposed to be the most bold, the most confident, the most fearless, the most outspoken disciple. This is the guy that confessed Jesus as the Son of God. This is the guy that walked on water that night during the storm. This is the guy that experienced the transfiguration. He saw Jesus in his glorified state. This is the guy that defended Jesus with his sword in the garden when they came to arrest him. He pulled his sword off and the guy that reached out to grab him whacked his ear off. What, what, what is going on? What is he doing? Why are you going fishing, Peter? Why are you not pursuing this calling that Jesus had placed upon your life? And I found this to be true. Because once again, it's me. That oftentimes the most bold, confident, fearless, determined, outspoken people outwardly struggle with insufficiency the most inwardly. It's an overcompensation. I ramp up my boldness, I try to ramp up my confidence, I try to to ramp up my fearlessness, I try to ramp up my determination to compensate for the fact that I feel completely insufficient on the inside. When you let this deficiency get you in your feelings, it will disengage you from your destiny, just like it did Peter. Peter. Each person in here that has been born again into the kingdom of God has been given a job in that kingdom as well. Through Jesus, you have a destiny to dive into. Through Jesus, you have a calling to chase after. In this room tonight, there are future ministers, missionaries. There's future teachers, coaches, counselors, doctors, lawyers, nurses, electricians, stylists, husbands, wives. Some of y'all are like, where? I need to find that before we get out of here tonight. There's future moms, there's future dads in this room tonight, all with the destiny of reaching people in these places that God is going to put you. Listen to me. A, a physical deficiency will hinder you from functioning at your highest capacity. If I actually struggle, like we talked about, with a vitamin deficiency, if it gets worse enough, that will hinder me from functioning at my highest capacity. But a sufficiency deficiency will hinder you from functioning at your highest calling. Look at what Jesus does with Peter. Go back to the text, verse 15. It says that when they had finished breakfast, so they got their bellies full, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Jesus pulls Peter off to the side, and he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? What is Jesus doing? He's essentially telling Peter in a loving way, dude, get out of your feelings and get back into your destiny. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. You know how you do that? You know how you tend to the flock? Through establishing the church. Yes, Peter had made a mistake. Yes, Peter had made a failure. But Jesus was not content with letting him sit back and become disengaged from his destiny. Peter, I've put a calling upon your life. I've put a destiny upon you to be instrumental in the establishing of my church. Get out of your feelings and get back into your destiny. Listen to me. You will never find sufficiency by settling. I don't care if it's academics I don't care if it's relationships. I don't care if it's athletics. I don't care if it's your career. One day you will never find sufficiency by settling, especially when it comes to our pursuit of Jesus and his calling upon our lives. So I'm telling you in a loving way tonight, get out of your feelings and get back into your destiny. Get back into the calling that God has placed upon your life. You are called, you are chosen, you are set apart, and you are sent. Stop letting these feelings of insufficiency disengage you from your destiny. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. God's put a higher thing upon your life. Don't let yourself be lodged from it. Just because of your feelings. One more thing I think worth noting, and I think it's an unfortunate thing that happens when we allow ourselves to get in our feelings because of this deficiency. It's that once that happens, once again, y'all don't even have to feel like I'm talking to you tonight because I'm talking to me. When I get in my feelings, I become obsessed with others. Go back to the text. Skip down to verse 20. Jesus and Peter have had their little pep talk. And Jesus has made it, in my opinion, abundantly clear to Peter that I'm not upset. I'm I'm not disappointed. I'm not frustrated. I'm not not mad. I'm not disgusted with the mistakes that you've made. I've still got this calling upon your life, Peter, and that still stands. Just because you had one boo-boo doesn't mean that it removed your destiny. And so he restores him, and he gives him a little pep talk, and he, and he pats him on his back. You know, Peter was, was sulking a little bit, and Jesus pulls him to the side, and he's loving on him a little bit, and he puts him back into this place where he's restoring him back to his calling. And then look at what happens, verse 20. They're still walking along the road, still having a talk, and Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following him, which is John, by the way, who's writing this gospel the one who had also leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? Look at verse 21. When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? (laughs) I'm sorry, it's just, we're, we're, we're so messed up. Excuse me, I'm so messed up. Because I can see myself all in this. Verse 22, Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. When I get in my feelings, guys, with my deficiency, when I'm feeling insufficient, when I'm feeling inadequate, I become obsessed with other people. After all this has taken place, Peter still hasn't completely gotten out of his feels. He turns around and he sees John following close behind him and he asks Jesus, well, What about him? How are you going to use him? What are you going to do through his life? A sufficient, deficient person will always carry with them the urge to be obsessed with other people. Peter's still feeling somewhat insufficient. He's still feeling somewhat inadequate when he turns around and he sees John following closely behind. He says, hey, Jesus, what about him? What are you going to do with his life? What's his his calling? How are you going to use him to build and establish your kingdom? And Jesus responds with, what does it matter? Peter, what does it matter? It's not for you to be concerned with. The only thing you need to be worried about is yourself following me. In an age of media, guys, our obsession with others is at an all-time high. And I can tell you what what it's doing. It is fueling this deficiency that we have in our lives. Y'all can be having the best of days, right? And you get a little break in between classes, and you jump on Instagram, and you start looking at people's stories, you start looking at people's posts, and the next thing you know, you're like full-blown depression because your life doesn't look like theirs. What is that? And you know, I see this carrying this into the, into the church. I see this carrying into our lives and the way which we look at our brothers and sisters in Christ, where God places a calling upon my life, and when I feel insufficient in it, I start looking around at the other people, and I'm like, well, what, God, why couldn't you call me to do what they do? How come you're not blessing my ministry like, like, like this guy's ministry? How come we're not seeing all these people get saved and baptized and all this other stuff? How come, God, you had not given me that kind of calling? How come I don't have that kind of influence? How come I don't have that kind of following? And Jesus says, what does it matter? What does it matter? God didn't need another John. God needed Peter. He had a tailor-made calling for his life. Listen to me. Peter could not live out John's calling. On the flip side, John couldn't live out Peter's. And the same is true in your lives. God has placed a calling upon your life. It's tailor-made. He fit it specifically for you, and he doesn't want anybody else or desire anybody else to live it out. God doesn't need another Louis Giglio. God doesn't need another Christine Kane. God doesn't need another Levi Lusco. God doesn't need another Lisa Turkus. He needs you to follow him. That's his desire to look down upon his body and see Matthew living out Matthew's calling, to see Alexa living out Alexa's calling, to see Drew living out Drew's calling. To see Caitlyn living out Caitlyn's calling. Not a bunch of brothers and sisters that are looking around with comparative eyes at each other and wondering, why can't I have what they have? You don't need it. You don't need it. Can I give you some encouragement? Let your faith declare. Let your faith declare. Instead of your feelings Define whether you will continue to follow Jesus or not. Peter looks back and he sees John. And because he's still in his fields a little bit, he says, what about him? Why in the world would somebody who is walking step by step beside Jesus ever bother to stop and turn around and look at somebody else? Let your faith declare instead of letting your feelings define whether or not you will continue to follow Christ. And quite honestly, one more time in a loving way, including myself, let's get out of the feelings a little bit and get back into our faith and stop fixating on our failures that's causing us to be disengaged from our destiny, leading us to be obsessed with others, fix our eyes on Jesus, and once again start running the race with endurance. Hey, this is Trey Mitchell, college and young adult pastor. I just wanted to say thank you for listening. It's our prayer that God uses these messages in a way that challenge and encourage you to live for his glory. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus as your Savior, we would love to help you with making that decision. Just reach out to us through our webpage at underwoodbaptist.org. Be sure to check back in with us next week as we again encounter God through His Word here at Life.